0: Okay, uh, we have to move quick. There's a good amount of stuff we have to cover today. Uh, And so turn your Bibles to Malachi chapter 2. We've got, uh, yeah, a good amount of stuff to go through. We're going to be moving quick. Uh, There's been a few jokes made my way today about the longevity of how often I can talk. Today's not going to change. Like, today could go 60, and I just want to give you that on the front end so you can all rejoice, okay? And so... uh, Yeah, exactly. Malachi 2, let me give you the background of what we've been doing. If you're not familiar with this book, it's the last book in the Old Testament. Uh, It gives us really the end of the nation of Israel's history as told through prophets and teachers and, and these different people telling us about what God is doing with this nation that in early days called them to himself and said, like, this is my people. I'm going to use this people To bless the world. And so that's Israel's role. We get to Malachi and things have not gone well. We notice over the first couple weeks, God has started in on these disputes with the people of Israel. Six to be exact within the book of Malachi. And he's calling them out in different areas. And the first one he talks about, listen... I love you, but you doubt that I love you, so let's talk about that. And he couches his love in the fact that he chose them, that they are his, that he brought them in. It wasn't because they were good enough. God just loved them and chose them and made them his, and so his love is forever. Last week, we looked at, man, our worship was a little bit messed up, right? Like, Israel's way of worshiping God was broken. They were coming to him with with foolish offerings, things that God would reject, and so God calls out the leadership primarily, and then on the way down, the way the people of God were worshiping him, giving him glory, and living their lives in the midst of it. Now, today, he's going to dive deep on the worship piece and get into some specifics about what is the outworking of a failure to worship God right this week and the next three is, if we don't love God right, the rest of this stuff is going to go poorly. If, if, we don't, if we don't have God kind of in the right place of worship and glory in our lives, you can't love your neighbor the way he calls us to. I guarantee it. And so the book of Malachi is going to move us towards that. So um, let me just be real with you for a quick moment. Um, last night, I was uh, doing a final run through On this, and I told Verity, I said, "Hey, could you pray for me? I'm feeling somewhat anxious about this sermon." And and mind you, I literally cannot remember the last time I felt anxious about anything in life. Like it just and if you know me, it's just everything is great. No one ever does anything bad. Everything will work out perfectly. Like that's just the way I am. It's annoying for everyone other than me. Um. And so we're talking, so I'm feeling a bit anxious about this. And she said, okay, you know, I'll pray for you. And, and so I go, and I'm doing the run-through, and, and I start praying. I was like, I should probably pray about this. And so uh, I stop, and I start praying. And I realize, you know what, it wasn't, it wasn't anxiety. It wasn't fear. I was just sad. Like, I, I was just really broken by what we'll talk about today. Like just like really grieved, really burdened, really heavy, based on stuff we'll talk about, especially on the second half of it. Now, in the midst of that, then I was like, okay, I'm really burdened by the second half of this, but then I started getting convicted that maybe the first half should burden me more than it does. And so it's just this whole thing. So these are some of the things I'm wrestling. So, so in the moment I, I turned on and I was like, you know what, I need to just listen to some worship. And so I turn on amazing grace. I just start singing and I just start crying. And I'm hoping that the lens for what we jump into today as a church is the grace of God. That he might break us where necessary. That in that breaking, what would come out of it is something all the more beautiful. And all the more like Christ. Just like God's doing to that baby right now. Like, just... Right? Not literally. Like, some parents like, no, that's my kid. I know that cry. What are they doing? Nothing. Okay, so... So, so that's, that's, that's my hope. That being said, I also realize this, this feels, I was saying to a couple people this week, this feels like an email sermon a little bit, right? It feels like one of those that maybe we'll get some emails this week, and that's great, and I hope the emails are, let's press in, let's do better, let's talk, okay? So that being said, Malachi chapter 2, verse 10, read with me. Have we all not one Father? Has not God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our Fathers, the prophet begins with an appeal to Israel in this third dispute, and he says, Are we not all created by God? It is not your fellow man, your fellow woman, is not all of humankind created by God in his image? We zoom back to Genesis the first book in the Bible, and it says this in Genesis one twenty-seven and twenty-eight. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So God's creating the worlds, and he's saying there's something missing, and he makes humans. He makes Adam. Now, Now, unlike the rest of creation, humankind, humanity, We were made in the image of God. Nothing else was. The only thing made in the the apex of God's creative work was you. Made and crafted in the image of God. Born into you is the inherent value, inherent dignity, inherent beauty of God himself put on you not something earned, right? This is something from birth, God creates you in his image. This is absolutely wild. You don't find this in any other religion in the world. God creates us in his image. Now, dude, heck yeah. Whoever's, whoever's parents, y'all need to like just, we're gonna give you, I don't know, more blessing in heaven or something. Um, <laughs> And then you need to teach my kids. So, um, so, so, in, the, so in the message, he creates them in his image, and he says, okay, now treat each other that way. Treat each other, treat your neighbor like they were created in the image of God, that when you look upon the person that you came with, you can look at them and say, that's something God made to look like him, value, dignity, beauty. That's how we're to treat Everyone. So it's not a choice. I will treat. Is it? Is it just my, my spouse? Is it? No. no it's literally everyone. How so you treat everybody, like even Tiffany. Yes, even Tiffany. Right? Sorry if you're named Tiffany. We see in everyone the image of God imprinted. So that means that we care for each other in that same lens. The people of God, Israel in this dispute with God, have a fractured reality in two primary relationships in their life. The first one is their relationship with with God, with Yahweh. The second one is their relationship, and he's going to zoom in on a very specific relationship, and that's husband and wife and the way that they navigate. So before we jump into the text, um, there's a couple... There's a couple people I want, I want to address. Um, you know what? Let me wait on that. We'll come back to it, okay? Um, I know you guys are excited, but we'll, we'll come back to it. Uh, so uh, verse, verse 11. Judah has been faithless, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord. If you're worried about all those places, just think the people of God, okay? That's, this is helpful. For the Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. Now, now this issue, these two relationships are experiencing faithlessness, The prophet's calling them out saying, no, you're being faithless to God. Husbands, you're being faithless to your wife. Some of your translations, and I think it's actually a better translation than even the one we handed to you, will use the word treacherous or with treachery. That the relationship and the way that people were caring and worshiping God was not just like, ah, I'm going to kind of step to the side or let this go. I'd rather do this. It's literal treachery in the way they treat God. Treachery is translated best as likely to betray trust. So God looks upon me. He's like, look, I, I can't even trust you anymore. I, can't, I, can't, I want to give you all of these things. I want to use you, but I, I cannot trust my own people. I, I cannot do it because it's just all messed up. And why? What's the example that he gives? What was going on here is uh, Israelite men were marrying the women of other nations. Okay, and I'm going to explain that a bit more in just a moment. Just wait. Or fathers were giving their daughters to men from other nations. Let me read why, this, uh, why God forbids this. In Deuteronomy 7.3, he says this, You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons, or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. God takes this pretty serious. Notice this is not an issue of color, although it has been used that way in the history of our nation and world. Well, don't intermarry with a person of a different race because they're a different that's not what this is. God's saying, you're my people, you're a covenant people to me, you're faithful to what we have agreed upon. The covenant that we've established is based on my law, my rule, my kingdom. And now you're marrying people who worship other things. And it's drawing them away from me. See, that's the issue. This whole thing, like, you're treating me with checks. I cannot trust you. And here's an example. You're going off and you're marrying people that pull you away from me. And our relationship is suffering. You're wedding yourself, listen, not not just, it's not about the, it's to their ways, to their gods, to the things that they worship, and they're in direct opposition to God. God requires full allegiance from Israel. The first command in the Bible, if you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Or sorry, that's not it, that's the Shema, I'll get to that in a second. The first commandment is the Lord our God is one and you shall have no other before him. The Shema, which is in Deuteronomy 6.5, it's like the summary of the Old Testament law. When they look back at the Torah, this is even to this day, Jews will recite this verse. They put it in phylactery boxes on their faces. It says, Deuteronomy 6, five: you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Okay, that at the heart of the entire relationship between God and Israel was God was primary, number one in absolutely everything. Anything that would detract from that, God was not heaven. And so he's calling Israel out and saying, listen, you, you're abandoning me. No, no, you're just like, well, it's not that big a deal. But, but ask a spouse who's had someone Go and cheat on them, how it feels. Right? When, you, when you maybe put it in that, in that terminology a little bit, maybe we can understand, Like when, when you so love someone, and then they've gone and betrayed you to wed themselves, to join themselves, to follow someone who is not you. This is the God of the universe who created them in his image, called them, chose them, and made them his own. They're chasing after other gods. This is a massive affront to God. He calls it an abomination, something that he hates. It's a massive deal for the people of God. Now, don't forget in the midst of this that also Israel had a mission. It wasn't just their worship that was broken. It was their mission that was broken. Because they were called to be blessed by God, to be a blessing to the world. But again, if we cannot know God and love God rightly, church, we will not be able to fulfill his work to go and be a blessing to the world. The same is true for Israel. They had denied him, and so they stopped loving and serving the nations like they were called to. And so Israel is in a bit of a mess. Now, we hear this, um, and we can kind of just think, well, that's Israel. Israel's is just a bunch of knuckleheads, right? Anthony's contributed a ton to my life, but maybe the term knucklehead has been primary. Like, he says it all the time. Um, that's just them, right? Like, they're just, they're crazy. We know their story. We just got out of Exodus. They're always making the wrong decisions. And the obvious connection is, that's, that's our story, too. This is our story, too. This this desire to say, God, yeah, I'll, I'll take some of that, but, but I want other things also. Like, like the King Solomon, who is credited as being the wisest man in history. He brought Israel to great, great wealth. And what he did was this kind of God plus, this Yahweh plus type of faith. Well, yeah, he didn't stop loving God, per se, He just started adding a bunch of other gods to the list. He's like, I'll take a little bit of Yahweh, but I'll take some Baal and a little Asheroth. And and I'll just, you know what, I'll just have this kind of pantheon of gods that I serve. And it brought great ruin upon the people of Israel. Guys, we do the same thing, except honestly, instead of Yahweh plus, it's usually Jesus plus. It's Jesus and then let me toss in some money. Like Jesus, he's a good God. I like him, but let me add fame and status is kind of something I want to strive for ultimately as well. Sex, these different idols. Maybe it's other philosophers and teachings and faith. So it's like, yeah, Jesus, but you know what? I really like some of the stuff Buddha said. Right? And I really like some of the stuff that I read in the Tao Te Ching And and I really like, and you just kind of just keep layering. And so it's not Jesus and then kind of this other stuff. It's, It's Jesus plus this thing, plus this thing, plus this thing. And you have this pantheon of gods, and I have this pantheon of gods that we worship. It's nothing but adultery to God. I would encourage you, if you have the backbone to read it, to go read Ezekiel 16 sometime this week. It is brutal. We're foolish to think we have not wedded ourselves to the culture. By adding these different gods that we want to worship, and by foolishly thinking that we can accomplish mission in our own ways. Because we're blessed to be a blessing church. But sometimes we think we're blessed to be blessed, because that is the way of our culture. Get yours, keep yours, buy yours, save yours, care for you, etc, etc, etc. It's not the way of God. So God calls the church out the same way I think he's calling Jesus, or calling us or Israel. We're steeped in this reality of, well, no, take care of you. Take care of you. Take care of you. Please sit down with me this week and tell me where the scriptures talk about that. And that's all I'm asking. Find where the Bible tells you to primarily take care of you. Over your neighbor. Here's how you're taken care of. Because everyone in the church is supposed to live as if you're more important than they are. It is the way of Christ. Now hear me, this is not deny care for yourself. This isn't never take a day off. It's none of that. We need to Sabbath way better. We need to rest way better. We need to do a lot of things way better on that end of things. So don't hear work harder, do better. Hear on the internal, the vision of life that's been crafted for us, that you are at the center, is wrong. Love the other, care for the other, die for the other. And guess what? The one that you came with today, you're hoping they're doing the same thing for you. And so all of a sudden, it's not one person caring for one person, it's 350 caring for one person. Because we're in this together. So God is calling Israel out of their sin, out of this treachery, out of this, God, I can't trust you anymore, what are you doing? Stop going after other things. He's calling that to the church today too. May we be repentant where Israel was not. The other second part of this is a relational piece, not just a cultural piece for us today, but a very specific relational piece, and nobody really likes to hear it. But hear me. If you are his, if you are a Christian, if Jesus is Lord, hear me, please. And I say this with grace and love and understanding. Do not flirt, do not date, and do not marry someone who doesn't love Jesus. It's just foolish. And I'm not calling you a fool. I'm saying, like, it is, ever, God's like, no, 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 It will pull you from me. It will distract you from me. No, many of you are sitting here and you're like, well, that's not me. Like, we're good. Like, we're not that. That's that's good. Okay, I understand what you're saying, but that I won't be distracted. Okay, I'm still a Christian. Right? No, I'm still a Christian and they're good with me still being a Christian. Right? Like They respect it, all that kind of stuff. I cannot tell you, hear me, and this comes from, I'm 36 so I haven't been doing this forever. But 12 years in pastoral ministry, meeting with people and having to deal with the reality of so many couples were the most important thing In one of their lives, is considered wrong by the other. Yeah, yeah, respected, sure. Yeah, you can do your thing, sure. Maybe I'll come, sure. But at at the bare bones level, they think you're wrong. The most important thing in your life, and you want to be with this person for the rest of your life. It's not just an affront of God. It's just bad business. And again, I say that, no one, like, it, it comes across like I'm anti-happiness. Like, I'm anti-dating. I'm a- no, no, no. Like, do all that. But I just want you to have God more than a spouse. Like, we've, we've done something in the church where we've created marriage to be the end. When it's A means to the end, which is knowing and following and glorifying God. And I'm sorry if that's some of what you've heard. Is like that's the the pinnacle of life is is finding a spouse. It's not. It's just not. But if you are going to find one, let's heed the wisdom of the one that made you. Let's heed the wisdom of the one who says, no, this is what life and how life is best lived. Now, if you're in one of those situations, this isn't necessarily like walk out here and ditch someone. That's That's not, if if there's a bunch of like people crying in the lobby, okay, I'm sorry, kind of, (laughs) okay? You brought this on your (laughs) sin. No, 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 that was too, I'm just joking. I get that relationships and our hearts, they desire companionship. I see that, I know that. Hear me, it's written in the beginning of time when God created. In the very beginning, when he knits this all together, he creates Adam and he creates Eve. So yeah, there's, there's meant to be this, no, I want that, I long for that, I totally understand that. But I'm telling you, in the midst of it, there is not just the right, but the best way to do it, okay? So um, God wants all of you. And you don't need to add anything to him. He's perfect the way he is. You don't need to bring in other stuff. It's like my pop. My pop, Whenever time we go to a restaurant, we could be at the fanciest restaurant. I'm talking $40 to $50 steak restaurants, right? For like the little four ounce thing that's a joke. But, and my dad would be like, hey, uh, can I have some salt? And I'm like, pop, you don't, you don't ask for salt at restaurants like this. Like they, they give it to you as it should be eaten, that type of thing. So what my dad does now is he comes with a little salt shaker okay? Doesn't matter where we're at. And he's like, well, this could be a hundred dollar plate seasoned to perfection. And my dad's like, no, it needs some of this, okay? Like, and he just keeps going. And he uses this thing called Tony Chacheriz, which if you're not from the South, you might not know what that is, but it's like a spice Cajun seasoning. And my pop, you can't even see the meat when he's done with it. It's just, I'm like, dad, that's like $80 you've just ruined. Don't be my dad. You don't need more than Jesus. I'm going to say it one more time. Hear me. And, and especially, especially for you younger folk. You don't need more than Jesus. Okay? This uh this second one, he's gonna um, focus now on this, this second. Uh, relationship, and, uh, and this, is, this is where some real weight, you got, usually, especially at our church, you're like, yeah, tell me how I hate God, I want to know, you know, and then when I tell you you're terrible to the people closest to you, that's when we get the emails, okay? God zooms in on this second relationship, again, speaking to the treachery of the people of God, and I want to address two people before I jump into this part. And so Brayden, I'm just kidding. No, two <laughs> buckets of people. Um, <laughs> two buckets of people. The first bucket of people are, are singles. Um, again, the church has often made marriage the end instead of a means to the end of glorifying and following Jesus. And, and sometimes when we've done that, let's, it's, not, it's not accurate. Okay? Um, I want you to know if you're here and, and you're sitting in singleness and, and you're like, man, like this, I, I don't want this. I wish this was different. Um, and you've heard people say, no, it's a gift, right? Like maybe you've been given the gift. You're like, I, I'm going to return the gift. Right? Like, <laughs> like does that come with a gift receipt? Like how, thanks God, but I'm going to exchange this for a marriage. Uh, <laughs> we're of that ilk that we think it's a gift. And it's not like you've been given the gift of singleness, as in there's like this package that now you unwrap, and that is your story for life. Like you now have, you, you're equipped with sing, It's, you just, you are single right now. If you are single right now, so treat it as a gift. Treat it as this opportunity to live life in a way that, hear me, you just cannot when you're married. And it's not good, bad, or anything in between. It's just different. And God has brought you to that place or kept you in that place even if you don't want to be there because he loves you and is for you and is for the work he wishes to do through you. I get that sometimes it can be hard, but you're loved. Like... Come talk to us if that's a struggle for you. We'd love to just be by you. Sometimes we can get these Well, we're married couples all just hang out over here and then the singles row and it's like, no, 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 we are a family and let us do this together, okay? Um, the second group is to the my marriage is fine folks where a lot of us will sit when we hear some of this and I'm, and I'm not even saying that your marriage isn't fine. I'm saying it's not what God wants because what God wants is is unattainable, this side of heaven. And so we always strive to love more, to serve more, to care more, to bless more, and to be more about the consideration and love of our spouse than we were yesterday, okay? And so the, my, my, my word is just fine. No, 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 you need to double check in, okay? Because God has something for all of us today. Okay, here we go. The second thing you do. You cover the Lord's altars with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? The simple image, a man walks up to the altar of God to give his offering and God rejects said offering. I don't want it from you. He just laid into the leadership last week of Israel and said, listen up guys, Like you're coming to to me with with terrible offerings that you're accepting from the people. I'm not going to do that. I will not accept your corrupt worship. It's blood money, and I don't want it. Here's how. Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, treacherous, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union, And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord of the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Let me start with this illustration that's given to us from the prophet Malachi. You're the defendant in a courtroom, and you sit there, and charges have been lobbied that you have treated your spouse with treachery. And the prosecutor stands up, and he says, I'd like to call my first witness. And God walks in the room. Now, humorous kind of thought, but that's what he's saying. Who's the witness to your actions? God himself. You're not hiding from anyone. The treachery that exists in our relationships, just because you open the door for your wife on Sundays, doesn't mean nobody knows what's going on. But the way we treat each other God testifies about. Like, please let that sit and scare everything out of you. Like, as I was prepping that this week, Anthony will talk, I think, more about this next week because he comes at it again and says, "I'm I'm gonna preach his sermon too. I won't have time. But I'm sitting thinking, like, everything I do, every way I talk to my bride, Every way when I come in the home, how I choose to act, how I choose to respond, how I choose to live, what I choose to do, God testifies and is witness to. Man, that's heavy. He's a witness to it all. Now, a word on marriage, because then we'll understand how broken this is if we understand what marriage was meant for. Marriage was a gift, and hear me, not just for those in the marriage, but for the world. That marriages were supposed to help be a blessing to the world. We zoom back again to Genesis chapter one. Adam and Eve were made in God's image, right? But Adam was made first. Adam was made, and, and he starts naming the animals. God says, bringing the animals in front of him. He's like, that's this, da, da, da. He starts naming all the animals. And he says that there was not a suitable mate to be found amongst the lot of the animals, which makes sense. Everyone's like, yeah, I know that. Amen. Then in a moment, God creates Eve. He creates woman out of man. And you know what his first words are when he looks to it? He says, at last. At last. Like, I've been longing for this. At last, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. You gave me woman. That Adam, in this, in this moment, this deep longing, God, at last, like I've been, I've been clamoring for this, I've been waiting for this. You've given me my counterpart. She looks like me. She's made in your image. She's oh, like just the ecstatic name. At last, someone like me. In your image for me to love and cherish, no. And this is the basis for marriage to this day, is that moment. It's so long like that. I literally pray for this. I think Mary's okay with me I literally pray, God, every time I see her, would that be the flutter of my heart? At last, she's back from work right at last i'm home to see her and be with her and, and labor together in this world like that is such a, now is that my thought every time no it's often like i want to take a nap cuz i'm like like and that's just me being real but this is this is the basis and it's internal it starts there and works its way out Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed, the Bible tells us. Like, there's just not a care in the world, right? Naked and, un- like, there's no shame, no blame, no, no bickering, no fighting, nothing to, to just say, like, this is, it's just, they're naked and unashamed, and they just, it's just, imagine frolicking naked around Disneyland, just you and your partner, right? Like, like it's just brilliant. There's no lines, churros are everywhere, like, it's just, it's just perfect, Something about Disneyland Churro, though, am I right? Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's naked and unashamed, hear me. There was trust that would not be broken. No shame, no treachery, because trust was there, care was there, love was there, presence was there. Like it was, this is the foundation and the basis of covenant and marriage that we enter into with a hope that they'd be fruitful and multiply and bring godly offspring into the world that would carry on the glory of God and the mission to the world, to cultivate and to cause it to flourish. Okay, so this, this goes all the way back to the beginning. Marriage was supposed to be a gift, not just for Adam and Eve, but to the world, to the kids, to everyone as it expanded out and God's presence and love was lived out through them. Now, there was also a covenant part to it, as we see in the text. Companionship, yes. Covenant, yes. This deep and rich understanding of the unity that God accomplishes in marriage. That he does something supernatural by the power of the Spirit, where all of a sudden, man and woman are linked with Spirit and create a triune marriage. Everything about your marriage is to reflect God positively. That's the purpose of it. The fact that it's Trinitarian shouldn't surprise us. God is Trinitarian. Father, Son, Spirit, our marriages are too. That God gives a portion of the Spirit as He unites man and woman. And the three now coexist perfectly to cultivate and show the world the goodness of God. It's incredibly beautiful. Marriage was meant to be a gift, representing God and the gospel to the world. Now, that's what makes what has happened in Israel all the more painful. Because husbands, we see in the text, were treating their wives with treachery. They could not be trusted any longer. They had abandoned their covenant to their spouse and lived in such a way were the best possible term to characterize the situation with the way they were treating their wives as treacherous, likely to betray trust, likely to fail, likely to hurt, likely to scorn, likely to be malicious, likely not to trust, likely to etc. 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 fill in your things. It's a heavy word, this word treachery. No doubt, a seed from what happened in the garden. Because although Genesis starts with this beautiful marriage, in Genesis chapter 3 it falls apart. They sin, they disobey God. God comes into the garden to speak with them and they're hiding from him now hide behind a bush because they they don't want God to know where they're at. So they, they start hiding, okay? God calls them out. He's like, where are you guys going? What happened? And right in that first moment, we've talked about this before, Adam's first words to God was, she made me do it. Or rather, actually, the woman you gave me made me do it. Sin enters the world and you see the first moment of treachery in a marriage can't trust you. You just blamed me. Like, you just turned on me like that. And blame and shame enter into the covenant. And we've been picking up the pieces ever since. Trying to get back to some beautiful semblance of what it was intended to be. You zoom in on what Israel's doing and he's looking across the landscape of the people of Israel and saying, your worship is broken. I will not even let, hear me, I will not let you come and worship me because the way you treat your spouse is that, that, and that treacherous. Now, this treachery, as we see in the text, would end or is ending with divorce. okay. Now, in the Old Testament, um, you see this garment language. He covers his garment with violence. In the Old Testament, so here's what the people of Israel would do when they um, had an idea. So, uh, any engaged couples in here right now? Anyone? No? Oh, yeah. Okay, great. So, okay, uh, Aladdin and Jasmine. Um, They dressed up like that. That's not just me being weird. So... um, So, Aladdin, um, if you, right, uh, were coming and you're like, hey, you know, um, I'm going to marry you, I'm giving my kind of intention to do that, you would literally take a garment and you you would cover her and say, this this is showing protection, this is showing uh, care, this is showing covenant, I am going to approach you and care for you and bless you and be with you and love you and grace you, et cetera, et cetera, all the things that was expected in the covenant of marriage, you were literally doing this act to show that. What God's saying here is that, man, the one who would abandon his wife, that garment has no longer been one of protection, but one of violence. But one of not love, but hate. Not care, but neglect. God takes this very seriously. I'm going to dive into this stuff a bit more, but... Know this, and I do want to say this. Now, this passage is coming, obviously, hard at husbands and at the men. Okay? And you have to understand, like, this culturally, that's just the way this went. Women were not leaving their husbands, and a lot of this was, was set up because, man, if a woman was not married, they would have nothing because they, they couldn't work. Okay? And they were seen then as, especially if you're divorced, you're cast to the side. Now, should one, should the people of God have come in and rallied? Yes, they should, yeah. But this was a massive problem amongst the people of Israel. They were leaving behind not just their covenant, but leaving these wives of their youth, like these people that they say they loved, and they're setting them up to fail, now, now, some of us, you might be sitting here, you're like, yeah, but I would never treat my wife with such treachery. I would never be like this. I guarantee you that thought has been thought by every person in the history of the world that treated his wife with treachery. You don't, you don't pursue someone thinking, not so, okay, maybe like point zero zero, like there's some evil in the world, I get that. But on the vast, vast majority, you don't enter into this marriage thing. You don't enter into dating thinking, you know what I want to do? I want to be treacherous to this person. I want to love this person and serve this person. So hear me, church, the moment we think, I'm too good for that. I'm too holy for that. That could never happen. Hear me, you're on a bad road. All of this, please pay heed to what God is trying to teach his church this morning. Um we fast forward to the new testament jesus speaking to the pharisees on the topic of divorce and they come to him and they say man why did you why did you allow why did you allow your people to divorce like well, what's the story behind that jesus and he says you know what I, I gave them that god gave them that because of the hardness of their hearts he says That that divorce was was this this thing that came into existence because the hardness of the hearts of the people of Israel. Namely, what is in view here is this treachery that we've learned about today. They would not fulfill their covenant. They would not care and cover and shepherd and love the way they were called to. They were hard in their heart. They would not repent. And so in the midst of that, divorce was granted. And their stubbornness, God gave it, and then provided stipulations for the people of God that when when a woman was divorced and cast aside, that the people of God were to come, love, serve, and care for her. So Jesus, in this interaction, speaks to the treachery that can exist in marriage, and I'll say this. it does go both ways, okay? So again, it's coming hard at the men here. It does go both ways. I, and I'd say even more so recently, some of the most painful cases of counseling that we've been in ha- have been wives abusing their husbands. So, so it's, it's not just one direction. This it, it happens both ways. But a majority are husbands treating wives this way. And you just need to know that. Statistically, it's overwhelming, that direction. Men, we need to own that. Okay? So what does this mean now? Um, some of you, I think, and probably rightfully so, are asking somewhat of a theological question in your hearts right now. Um, in other words, when, what are they saying about divorce? Like, when is divorce okay? Now, traditionally, there's been kind of in our circles, this kind of two-clause system, Right? which is uh, adultery, okay? So uh, if you commit adultery, uh, that is a reason for a biblical divorce, okay? Uh, husband cheats on a wife, the wife can say, you know what, you cheat on me. Adultery, good, we're good to go, right? Now, now even in that, though, that's right, not as black and white as you'd like to think. Some people then say, well, like, what counts as adultery, right? Is, is it just this or does this count too? And there's, it, there's this whole conversation around that. But the, but that one's been a bit more clear throughout church history. Adultery is there. The second one is the other clause of abandonment, okay, that if a husband or wife just says, no, I'm out and leaves, you're free, okay, and, and a divorce can be sanctioned by God in that sense, okay. Where redemption church lands is yes to clause with somewhat of an expansion on the idea of abandonment. That abandonment is not just physical. It's not just, and I'm not going to pick, but if a couple is in here, right, and the husband's like, no, I'm just going to go. That's physical. That, okay, that makes sense. We think it goes beyond that. That is an abandonment of the covenant that you have committed to your spouse. That you no longer continue to try and strive to serve and to love and to bless and be the husband or wife that God has called you to be. Now, in view here, and this is where it gets really heavy, is abuse. Um, I'm going to share some stats with you, real briefly. Um, now, this is just physical abuse, and we're going to talk about others as well in just a moment. Um, one in four women, okay, will be physically abused before they leave this earth. One in four. Now, for probably most of the women in here, you're like, yeah, I, I know, da da da, da. So, so maybe for some of you men, like turn the ears up here. One in four women will be abused in their lifetime physically. Every nine seconds, someone is abused. Ten million people a year in our country alone will suffer from physical abuse this year. Um, this abuse, when it happens in a family, causes the kids to be 1,500 times more likely to become abusers themselves. That's why okay. so God's speaking to this godly offspring, this, these kids that would pass on love and goodness. but When stuff like this is present, 1,500 times more likely to abuse as well. Because they grow up and they see it and respond to it. Um, it's not just physical But abuse and treachery exists in a a wide spectrum and wide way of things emotional abuse the constant degradation of other the tearing down of the other person just the constant laying into them you're not good enough you failed at this I do this all day and now you're not etc. 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 It's not just physical and emotional. It can happen in the form of isolation. Husbands, and again, I'm just going to speak to the men, and this does happen other directions again, but it's because I'm talking majority here, but we all can learn and glean. But isolation, in other words, I get to decide when you get to go out and who you get to go out with. When you get to go out. I get to track you when you're going. It's not It's not normal abusive. Threats and manipulation. If you do this, then I. And it goes from everything to I will hurt you, to I will take this from you, to I'll harm myself. It's manipulative. It's abuse. Economic. I control the money. Here's an allowance for you. This is what you get. You don't get control. You don't get to know what we do with the finances. It's abuse. Physical abuse is the obvious one. But it happens and treachery happens in all sorts of ways. Now, if you're here and you're the abuser, you're the treacherous one. Um, I'm not going to yell at you. Statistics tell us that even in the church, even in churches like ours, we think things are good. Men, there's some of you right now that you, let's just be honest, like you're getting nervous. Like the pulse is racing a little bit right now. I want to plead with you. Not I'm not here, I'm not going to plead with you. Stop. That's obvious. The plead is get help and tell someone immediately. It's not, I'm going to fix this myself. If you're doing that, that's not I'm fixing this myself. That's you need to talk to a professional. You need to sit down with something. You need to confess before God and man that this is happening. You need to repent and you need to get help. Period. You're not unlovable. You're not unredeemable. Praise our Savior Jesus that there is no one, no one, no one outside the outstretched arm of our God. But God, he does not. Oftentimes, this, this, you'll see this translation that God hates divorce. You'll see that. It's translated in the Bible this way, in different ways. I don't think it's a good translation. And most people now, they reject that translation. It's, God doesn't hate divorce. You know what he hates? He hates the man who would treat his wife with treachery and then divorce her. And vice versa. Okay? If you are the abused... um I'm, I mean I, I say sorry I guess I don't you're so you're so loved. God's entire movement is to the broken and some of you have experienced a lot of what you shouldn't And not what the world intended for you to. And I'm so sorry. Like, that's, I'm not just, I am so sorry if it means anything for me to say it. But you're so loved, and you are not beyond restoration, newness. I know so many of these situations, you put blame on yourself. Well, it's my fault that this happened. It's not. It's it's not. And like you can't say it enough. It's not. You're forgiven. You're seen. You're loved. And please tell someone. And I know that's an easy thing for me to say from this position. And it's not an easy thing potentially from yours. But find a way if you could. Tell someone, and the full resources of the church. Which, let's be honest, we don't have it done. But the full resources of the church are with you. Whatever we can do, okay. Um, I've got ten more minutes, y'all. I, I told you I'm sorry it's going long. And we'll wrap this up, and we're still gonna sing because God deserves it, okay. Um, what drives this treachery? a handful of things. Um, And I'll try and move through it quickly, but it's heavy and I want to make sure I'm clear with it. But one of them, and a a big one, is is patriarchal systems and abuse of power in those systems. Systems that, where only men have made the decisions without input from women. And when you have half of the human race Making up decisions for 100% of it only. It's a big problem. Okay? And and hear me, this is coming, and a lot of us know our our theological stance. Like, we're where you would put, if you had to put a label on it, like, we're a complementarian church, and we're still, like, this is still a problem. The abuse of power in these structures have caused some of this. It's not the only reason, it's a reason. The remedy is all of us laying down power and being quick to listen, quick to grow, quick to not say, well, that's not me. It's all us, especially here in the people of God. Another one um, is, is just popular culture. Like, you sing enough songs, you play enough games, you watch enough movies. And, I'm, and again, this is not the reason. Some people put way more on this than they should. It's a reason. We glorify this stuff in entertainment and media and then we're surprised when it happens. We're shocked when it actually happens in the home, but we love singing it on the radio. That stuff shapes you, informs you. I'm not saying don't even never li- I'm just saying like you got to acknowledge this is part of the equation. Another massive part of it is the rampant and unbelievable amount of use of pornography in our culture. It is like every year the most famous free porn site will distribute statistics on, uh, you know, like on how many viewers and key searches and all that kind of stuff. And I'll just share some stuff with you. 15.2 million hours a day in America alone are spent consuming this stuff. million hours a day in America alone. So it's not just like, really? But also like, what would happen if those 15.2 million hours a day were rather spent on flourishing things and blessing people? So it's not just like, this stuff's bad. It's like, man, imagine all the good that could be done with that time. We could, like the stuff that could be solved. But we're consumed by this thing. Most popular date of view, Sunday. Time, 12 to 2. It's weird. There's been an increase in a bunch of, uh, this is the most disturbing thing, an increase in uh, different types of pornography that's starting to be created. One of the fastest growing. um, Refugee porn. Fetishizing. Fetishizing sojourners. People longing for freedom and life Now they're making porn out of it. Um, 22 studies in seven countries. So it wasn't just one place, it wasn't just one study. 22 studies in seven countries. The most comprehensive study on the use of porn and its link to abuse found significant increases between how much porn you watch and the more likelihood that you are to abuse your spouse or someone close in your life. It's astronomical. Cosmopolitan Magazine, not always in our favor. 90% of people polled, and it was something like 5,000 women, said that porn usage has hurt their marriage. 56% that have been divorced cite it as a primary reason for the disillusion of their marriage. Okay, this, you, know, you come to church, like oh, they're, you know, they're going to hammer on a, a couple things, and, and this is one of them, and there's a reason why. It's not just, oh, listen, in and of itself, it's terrible, but it's destroying the world. And that's I'm, it's not an overstatement. It just is. It's destroying relationships. And you know what it does? Is It creates in the watcher the opportunity to remove the image of God off of another human being. They're no longer a Mago day. They're no longer made with dignity. They're made as an object for your consumption, like the rest of what this world tells you you should have. If that's you, again, you're loved. You're not beyond redemption. Please talk to someone. The biggest problem, though, in the midst of all of this, hear me, is it's us. It's our hearts. Matthew 15, 18. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Where does this stuff originate? It starts here. And that's why God comes so hard at Israel and if we let him is trying to speak to us too to say the answer is not just fixing the external. It's this surgery that we talked about in week 1 of the series, God needing to come in and change this, the stuff that drives us to those other things. That's where the work needs to be done. So what do we do? What do we do with it all? Um, We get at the end of the text, guard yourself in the spirit. In other words, guard your heart. Return to God. That's what he's saying. Return back to me, Israel. Church, keep pursuing me. Return to me. If If you're distant from me, come back to me. If you're far away, come near. We guard ourselves with the spirit of God. Israel didn't do this. And for 400 years, God remained silent in his conversation with them until, until a baby was born. And until that baby lived a life perfect, filled with love, compassion, grace, mercy, forgiveness, and hope. Until that baby grew up, died on a cross for the sins of the world, and was raised on the third day, Then everyone started to listen again, and we sit here today, 2,000 years later, as a recipient of his move towards his people. Ephesians 5 tells us that God views his church as the bride of Christ. What a beautiful picture to land us in a place where we've seen nothing but in the text at least, right? Right? treachery and brokenness husbands refusing to fulfill their duty and their covenant and their companion calling to their spouse the one who did it perfectly on our behalf to redeem all things to restore all things and to set us free and so the answer to what do we do now is wherever you're at wherever you found yourself in today's story and in today's sermon the answer is run to jesus because he calls you to himself in repentance and in love and desire to show you who you were made to be. What your marriages were meant to look like for his glory and his mission in the world.